Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. Have you ever hit a guardrail? Did you? And did it damage your car? Thank you. Thank you, Darren. Um, so have, if you've hit a guardrail, then you know that it, 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 it didn't keep you from damage. Right? No, no, it doesn't because, you know, you, scrape, you, you know, take all the paint right off the side of your car, you hit it really hard, you hit, you hit a concrete guard, you know, you know then, then you're going to do serious, maybe even structural damage, like serious damage. Uh, and, and so you can kind of get mad at the guardrail a little bit, just be like, man, you know, I, I hit this stupid guardrail here, um, and it damaged my car, it messed my car up, and now I've got to pay for this. And it's easy to kind of get upset at the guardrail because it's there, and uh, it caused damage. Um, guardrails are there to protect us, but they're also there to cause damage. What is that about? Well, the point of a guardrail is to keep you from catastrophic damage. And it is willing to cause you a little bit of damage and keep you safe, a little bit of pain, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of discomfort for sure, so that you don't go over the embankment, so that you don't flip your car, so that hopefully the guardrail that you have hit because you got out from the lines, um, that guardrail has caused you to stay safe from uh, you know, some kind of catastrophic accident. That's the idea of a guardrail because uh, if it's not there, then maybe you go over the cliff and you can get mad at the guardrail, but at least you didn't go over the cliff. Guardrails have damaged a lot of cars, but does that mean they should be removed? Well, why not? Because, I mean, they, they, they do hurt your car. You know, they cause damage. I would say that guardrails damage more cars um, you know, than, than, than cars go over the embankment. Well, the way the Word of God looks at things, and, and particularly things in our life, um, there is only really one really important Thing that the guardrails are, are there for, to keep our souls from going to hell. That's the ultimate thing. That's the only real stat that matters. God is willing to do all ki- bring all kinds of stuff into our life to bring us back onto the path, whether or not it causes a little bit of, of damage in this or a little pain or a little discomfort because he does not want our soul to die lost and go to hell for eternity because in the context of that, a little bit of discomfort or a little bit of problem or a little bit of pain is nothing compared to an eternity without God. So really, he's not too worried about the fact that sometimes the things that he writes in his word that we kind of buck against and we don't really like because they cramp our style and our direction, he doesn't really care that much about it, because what he cares about is your never dying soul. Amen? Thank God for spiritual guardrails. Honestly, the world would say, yes, take the guardrails out concerning sin in so many different ways. Don't discipline that child. Because that discipline, it might be a little bit uncomfortable. It might be, it might be, they, they might not enjoy that. They, they, they might not, they might not appreciate, you know, you know that, that might hurt their feelings. So don't, don't discipline the child. Just let him do what he wants and then just kind of talk to him a little bit. And just, you know, since two-year-olds can, you know, logically, you know, deduce, you know, right and wrong and cause, causality. Are you kidding me? But that's, the, that's how it is. And let me tell you something. I don't know, I don't know. 
I'm not, your, I'm not your boss when it comes to whether you're spanking that child or whether you put them in the corner, where you put them in timeout. There's a lot of different stuff going on. Uh, but I will say this. Um, a spanking doesn't hurt nearly as bad as the effects of a disordered life. Bring a child in, in, into obedience and teaching them how to be respectful, how to be obedient, how not to be a, a, a psychopath with no boundaries in their life whatsoever. That is going to hurt their feelings, put them in the corner a little bit. I don't want to be in the corner. Um, the, uh, shout out to the Lockwoods. I'm already using them. I know you He's going to listen to this on the podcast, and I'm going to laugh because uh, he, put, he put the squabble the little one. Um, Garrett, everybody knows Garrett Lockwood. Uh, he's you know, my buddy. We'll see him shortly. Uh, but he put um, Caden in the corner because Caden was being bad. And so Caden was over there. Hey, Amen. He, he was, and he was over there kind of pouting and then whining a little bit. And then uh, you know, he kind of got real comfortable in the corner. And then he left him there for a couple of minutes. And then he just went to sleep on him. <laughs> and then so there's like, are you okay over there, little dude? And so then he got out of the corner. And then he started acting right. Because discipline. And what people uh, who love their kids understand is, you know, what, what, whatever your technique is of discipline, um, that, that, you know, as long as it's, you know, sensible and normal, uh, that is not going to affect that child negatively compared to the effects of a disordered life. Somebody said, uh, you know, not too long ago, don't let your children do things that make you dislike them. Isn't that good? I think it is. I know it is. Um, don't let your kids do things that make you dislike them because the, all you're doing is you're, you're, you're preparing and you're molding and you're thrusting into the world a child uh, who you don't even really get along with very well or, or you know, honestly, you don't even like the way they act. I would think I would get more feedback from parents, to be perfectly honest. Their boss to, to enjoy working with them or to, for them not to get fired. Amen. There's a lot of different ways, you know, of, of you know, sometimes, you know, Taking the, taking the iPad away, or even better, taking the, uh, the charger so they slowly watch it die, you know, percentage point by percentage point, and you prolong the pain. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty, you know, that's a little more uh, Machiavellian is your word for the night. Yeah. The world says, don't preach about that sin. If you do, then, you know, if, if you preach about that sin, if you, if you, put, don't, if you put that guardrail there, um, then that's going to hurt them a little bit or hurt their feelings, or challenge, you know, their worldview, and then they're not going to come back. Well, I would rather challenge the sin in someone's life and then give them the opportunity to repent and not have to die lost and go to eternity without God. Guardrails. I would rather hurt someone's feelings and give them the truth. In love, I don't ever want to hurt someone's feelings. I, 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 I do it as best as I can, but in the end... Um, what, what's my motto here? Truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. You're not always going to get around that. You can try, and you should try, and you should do your best to do it in love. But in the end, um, truth sounds like hate to people that hate truth. It just is what it is. See, the breaking of our hearts and lives are directly correlated with the breaking of God's word. If you really care about people, then you want to see them come into agreement with God's word because you know that the effects of breaking God's word in, your, in a person's life is correlated with their own pain and suffering in the end. 
you want them to stay on the right path. You don't want them to go over the embankment. Amen? It's better to hit the guardrail than to go over the cliff. But that's the danger of breaking a hedge. If you break a hedge, see, and especially biblical hedges, because some hedges, who knows why they're there. We had so many hedges at our place. I have so, like we had lattice and hedges everywhere. There was no reason for it whatsoever, you know, that you, that you could discern. But the Bible's not that way. If there's a hedge in place, it's there for a reason. And we don't always understand. That's the thing about hedges. Sometimes you don't know what's on the other side until you break through. The Word of God understands this. That's why it says, if you break the hedge, a serpent will bite you. There's a serpent in that hedge. There's a reason why it is there. Second thing about guardrails. Guardrails are placed in an area that you could go into and still technically be safe. Now, here's where we're going to get down to uh, the, the nitty-gritty, a little bit of what I want to say. And I want to, I, I hope that, that you don't just assimilate um, everything that I'm saying, and then that's just it. But I hope that you will be able to take the principles of what we're talking about and teaching and apply those into the various instances in your own life. And, and then look, look at this as just a little bit of a, of a blueprint rather than just waiting for me to name exactly your thing. Let's think about how this applies in our own life. Guardrails are placed in an area that you could go and technically still be safe. That's true. Um, if you're driving down the road, um, the guardrail's right here. If you just move the guardrail out of the way, you'd still be safe. And you could do that. You could drive there. And then maybe you would get back on or maybe you'd go on the embankment. But that's the tricky thing about guardrails. Tricky thing about parenting. That's the tricky thing about uh, being a Christian is sometimes in order to be, to stay exactly where we're supposed to stay and, and to not have disaster in our lives, sometimes we have to live um, to the left or depending on where you are, to the, a little bit on the other side of something that you could probably do and get away with. And this is where, honestly, I'm not, I'm not, kind of, I'm not really going after you know, whatever it might be in your life necessarily, but that's where we have to put our, our, our big boy um, pants on and then start making hard decisions about how I will order my life to make sure that I don't go over that embankment because I'm not even going to get close to it. I'm going to set up, I'm going to set up some boundaries for myself, some guardrails for myself. There's some things that I, maybe I could handle and not get burned, but I don't have to handle them, so I'm not taking the risk. There are some places I could probably go and then come through unscathed. I've seen people do it. Some people do it, and they do fine. But I'm not because uh, there's... The guardrail is technically in a safe place before you go over the embankment. And the more that you do this sensibly, the better your chances are of walking on the straight and narrow, obeying God, and not running into pain and disaster to problems. But that takes maturity. That takes me saying, you know what, technically I could probably explain this behavior away. Or I could chalk it up to something else. But I choose to be as much like Christ as I can and to stay away from those things of the flesh that, that, that I feel like could have a hard or bad effect on me. I'm not even going there. Now, can a Christian go there and do that? Sure, I've seen him do it. But I choose, because I know myself, and maybe I know a little bit about my weakness, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to do that. 
this is something that we all have to do. Now, you're, you're, you might have guardrails somewhere that I don't. I might have some that you don't. Um, you know, these are things that are not exactly canon. They're not like, you know, it's not in the Ten Commandments, guardrails aren't. But it's using wisdom and discernment. And knowing a little bit about ourselves and knowing a little bit about human nature, I choose, and I don't even need six scriptures not to, I know that that's a dangerous thing with the way that I operate and just the way that I am and just the way that people are in general. I just don't go there. I just don't do that. This is not legalism. Like I said, it's a guardrail. Um, this, this, is, this is using wisdom in your own life and discernment. They are placed in an area that you could still technically go and be safe. This is the most important factor. See, some people mistakenly think that Jesus moved the barriers closer to the edge via grace. Do you know that? They really do. People preach that. People teach it. Uh, because of grace, we can do whatever. Don't you know the law is done away with, bro? No. I'm serious. That, that's the whole mindset. That's the mindset of most of a generation in Christianity. They believe that Jesus moved the guardrails closer to the edge so that we had more space to live and party in. And it's dead wrong. If you, I don't know if you want me to go here or not, but it's actually polar opposite wrong. To be honest, the guardrails kind of came in a little bit. It did. It really did. Um, I'll be glad to, you know, to kind of show you a little bit of what I'm talking about there. Um, when Jesus came on the scene... There were strict rules, and you could kind of find loopholes and bend, you know, bend them a little bit. And uh, there were several laws that were written into effect. Um, you know, that were, you know, some of them were almost like, you know, do the best you can. Like this is what you're supposed to do. And then, you know, he said, because because of the hardness of your heart, you know, um, th these things are, you know, because I know that you can't be exactly who you need to be. And like there, there were a lot of really, really difficult laws in place. And so when Jesus came, he enacted and empowered and endued us with the ability to walk even straighter in the middle of, of exactly his path because of the grace of God, because of the blood of Jesus, because of who he is, um, we can actually be a lot more accurate in the way that we walk and talk. We can be more Christ-like because we have Christ. We can be closer to God. We can walk with God. We can, we can stay right on course in a way that people used to not really be able to. Not really. I mean, they, they, would, they, they would try to complete the law. They would try to fulfill it. They had 9,000 different laws. But in the end, they didn't have the spirit of Christ like we do. They didn't have the fullness of the revelation like we do. And so, honestly, it, it, it kind of um, constricted the road a little bit because now we were able to do it because of the power of Christ in us, being a transformed new creature. Jesus did. He moved the, he moved the, the, the guardrails in. How disappointing for some people, you know? They're like, oh, you know, because of grace, now we got oh, all this room. Not really. I'll give you three, uh, three different instances. He said, if a man looks at a woman to commit adultery with her, he's committed it in his own heart. Which, oh, a whole lot of people just got a lasso around them that had been running free. You know, it, it, was, it was just the people who... Who, who, got, who, who were actually in the act and the thought life really didn't come into it. And now, and now Jesus is like, nope, nope, bit much bigger, cut a much bigger swath because it's a heart issue. And everyone's like, wow, that, that really, yeah, that escalated quickly. 
Um, here's one that nobody liked um, because this is how it worked uh, in, in Roman times. Um, Rome, according to Roman law, um, you could compel somebody. You could tell somebody, all right, you're going to carry my armor a mile down the road. And so most of the time, people would actually have a, uh, like a, a painted rock, a big, you know, immovable rock that was marked at one mile down the road away from their house because you couldn't tell anybody to go any further than that, um, and that's, that's what you would do. So uh, the legionary would come by. You know, he's getting, you know, he's getting uh, you know, requisitioned. He's being moved to Spain or something like that. He's going to go join a different legion, or maybe he's retiring, and he's tired. He's walking down the road, and then he sees this poor Jewish guy, you know, at, in his house. He says, all right, you know, let's go. You got to carry all my armor, my kit, my weapons, my my javelin, my my helmet, everything. Let's go. And so you would walk all the way, um, you know, down to. Well, there it is. Everybody see the little silver plate there? One mile, and you and I'm done. You would dump it right there, because he's an oppressor. You hate him, and and he's he's a Roman, and they they shouldn't even be here. And but the law says you have to do that. And Jesus says, if he compels you to go with him one mile, go with him two. And so the Spirit of Christ, wow, what a powerful moment. I guarantee you people got saved one step after a mile. Yeah, that's what I think. Because, you know, Brad, what would you think? You know, if, 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 if you're like, all right, dude, you got to carry it with me. I know you don't like it. I don't care. We're going. I don't care what you say. You're going to carry it all the way to the rock. And then you get to the rock, and then you're just like, and you just take a couple steps. And then you're just like, you, you Okay. <laughs> And then you say, how long can I milk this for before he realizes he's past the rock, you know? And then all of a sudden, uh, you're like, you do realize that like half a mile back was your spot. He's like, yeah, I know. I got it. I know. What do you mean you got it? Well, I'll just walk a little bit further with you. I know you, you got a lot more to go. Why? Well, segue. Let me tell you about a man named Jesus. What about him? Well, this is kind of how I live. I do this every time. I know I don't have to, but because of what he did in me, I kind of want to. It gives me the opportunity to tell you a little bit about the hope that I have. Wow, I guarantee people got saved on that, on that walk. So awesome. But I'm telling you, whenever Jesus reset the boundaries and the guardrails, they kind of came in. Now it wasn't one mile, now it was two. Lastly, on sub point three, um, they ask him, what's the greatest commandment of all my, all the commandments, which one's the best? And there was hundreds of them. And they're trying to catch him up, you know, and make him stumble. And Jesus said, the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment of all those commandments, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like unto that, love your neighbor as yourself. And they're like, wow, you really can't argue with that. But man, that was really, really constraining. It was really, really constrictive, honestly. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. It's not a lot of room for, uh, you know, for, for loopholes in there, is there? And love your neighbor as yourself. Man, there's not a lot of room for loopholes there either. Here's the thing that we forget. Let's see. Oh, we're good. Here's the thing we forget. Um, <clears throat> in the Old Testament, loving your neighbor was not a thing, really. Somebody give me an Old Testament verse about loving your neighbor. Right, I know. 
I feel if anybody's going to have it, maybe Brother Sam, do you have one? Brad, you got one? Johnny? Sister Julian? I can't really either. And I mean, I didn't just for this message read the whole Old Testament just so I could make this point. But it, I would have thought that I would have seen it by now, you know, the times I've read the word. Um, that, that's apparently not really a thing in the Old Testament, loving your neighbor. So sometimes we were just like, oh, yeah, that's the Bible. You know, you got to love your neighbor. Well, it was that part of the Bible. But honestly, that's kind of the newer part, the New Testament, because before then, it really, you know, you, it was an eye for an eye. If somebody poked you, you poked them back. You know, if somebody, if somebody like, even if it was an accident almost, like if somebody, you know, killed somebody in your family, then you would chase them, you know, chase them down and try and kill them. And they would have to run to a particular city to get away from you. That was, that, that's how it used to be. That's the Old Testament. So honestly, when Jesus is saying this stuff, uh, he is bringing, he is moving the goalposts in a big way. He is constraining us. He is, he is, he's moving those guardrails in on me. My goodness, I can't do nothing. People mean to me, I can't say nothing. I can't do nothing. I can't get back at him. Walking this tightrope. Yeah. He hit me in the face and now I can't hit him back. And then there's no more eye for an eye. And now I've got to walk two miles. You're walking this thin line that you didn't used to have to look. That's Jesus' version of uh, moving the guardrails. They came in. Jesus moved us closer to the paths of righteousness because he loved us and was about to empower us to walk even closer via salvation sanctification, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Because of those things, we could actually stay in the lines. Amen? Now, lastly, <clears throat> Brother Johnny, will you shut that? I know we've got, thank you, buddy. Lastly, this is where we'll, I'll just be a little more, uh, just kind of kick back and uh, have a little bit of a, this is, this is just me, some of this. Um, my, my guardrails, because I want to encourage you to pursue and to establish and to hold your own. <clears throat> I have some guardrails in my life. Guardrails, like I said, are not, they're not the Ten Commandments. They're not any of those commandments. They are things that you do um, for, for the sake of wisdom and discernment because you want to live right and you know that you need to have some boundaries in your life, maybe that are not clearly marked, and you could technically, you know, maybe be in some of these situations, but here's some guardrails. I'm very, this is me, I'm very careful with the positions I allow myself in uh, concerning, uh, you know, any lady that I'm not married to. Amen? Hey. Um, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't meet ladies at the church or anywhere else, where else alone for counseling or meetings. And just, and, and sit there, um, you know, for hours and, and just, you know, and just, you know, pour out and just listen, you know, and just, I don't do that. I'm not going to do that. I shouldn't do that. Now, can you take me to a, a scripture? Guardrails. You know, you, you're not allowed to have a conversation, you know, and, and well, no. But guardrails. Guardrails. Tell you another one. <clears throat> I got two pieces of electronic equipment right here. They're the two primary in my life. My wife has the passwords to every piece of electronic equipment that I own. Don't you? Yeah. Her do. And, uh, and free access to look at them. Every once in a while, I'll remind her of that. You know? And, and you know, at, 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 you know, at whatever time. Like, you know, 
because I have said, and these, like I said, these are my guardrails. Don't judge my guardrails. I have them there for a reason. Because I, you know, I, I want as many things between me and moral failing as possible. I just do. You know, they're, they're, they're my guardrails. Um, you know, Mike Pence, who is our uh, vice president, um, was ridiculed and mocked two years ago, two and a half years ago now, um, because he wouldn't, you know, do meetings, you know, one on one, you know, with, with a lady who wasn't his wife. He just wouldn't do it, and he would, you know, Billy Graham wouldn't even ride in an elevator, you know, with uh, with you know someone who was not his wife, just because you know he he wanted to be a hundred percent, you know, clarity wanted, to, you know. You know Especially like for him being you know, a huge you know, public figure like that, you know, he, there was no way that someone's going to bring an accusation against him because he was just covered all the time. And my, honestly, you know who was not affected by me too? Mike Pence. Because now pretty much a lot of politicians have come under scrutiny. He's not one of them. I would rather, I would rather be ridiculed for having boundaries than condemned for not. Amen. A lot, a lot of politicians are on the other side of that. <clears throat> Another, I have one more. One more. I, well, I have other ones, but. Um, alcohol. Alcohol. Amen. Um, there are thousands of different sodas. I'm a connoisseur of these. Love, love me some. Yeah. Darian, what's your favorite soda? You like that? You like that cherry coke? Uh, red yeah, stay, oh, I bet. You know, but what's that in right there? It, it is a pink drink. Just get out of here. I like my sodas, but pink drink to each their own. See, there are you know here in America, um, we have thousands upon thousands. I sat there for one time for like twenty minutes trying to name all the different. There's me and Andrew. All all the different types of Pepsi and Coke. Pepsi Crystal, Pepsi Light, Pepsi Ice, Pepsi with natural sugar, cherry, vanilla, cherry, vanilla, um, lime, um, you know, diet, caffeine-free, diet, caffeine-free, uh, zero, that's Coke Zero, now we're into Coke, and now you've got orange, like, cream Coke, everything, the point is, there's so much to choose from, um, that I don't... I can't find a reason for me to drink one that has the ability to cause me to lose my inhibitions and ability to control my flesh. Amen. Here, here, let, I'll give you this word right here, and you do with it what you will. What fasting does in favor of your spirit, alcohol does in favor of your flesh. Yeah. What fasting does, it weakens your flesh and causes your spirit to be stronger, more in control, more dominant, more predominant in, in your decision-making and in the way that you see things. Alcohol does the polar opposite. It causes your spirit to be quiet in the corner as your flesh comes forward and begins to make decisions to make you a you that's a whole lot more you than any other version of you, and, and your inhibitions start to you know, fade away. Next thing you know, some people, I mean, I, I've never been drunk. I, I don't, so I, I can't use my own example, but um, yeah, next thing you know, they're, they're up on, on, a, on the table dancing around and, and doing things they would never do, um, talking in a way that they would never talk, acting in a way that they would never act, pursuing things, saying things that they would never entertain before the 
effects of alcohol had taken root in their life and in their that's true. What fasting does in favor of the spirit, alcohol does in favor of the flesh. And here's the way I break it down. Whenever I drink alcohol, I am consuming a substance that is specifically designed to lower my inhibitions and impair my judgment of right, wrong, proper, and godly. And then using that same impaired judgment, I will then make a good decision concerning whether or not I should consume more. But it won't be you that makes that decision. It will be the version of you that has already consumed some. Guardrails. See, you notice the way that I'm approaching this. Guardrails. Um, because we know that drunkenness is a sin. The Word of God says, you know, be not drunk with alcohol. Wearing is excess. And my, the way that I, I invented this myself. You know, it's homemade. I decided that the way that I would not be drunk was I was not going to drink. I know. I am the real deal. <laughs> the real deal. Figure that out in my lonesome. Yeah. And tell you what, I don't, uh, I don't make doctrine out of non-empirical data. What does that mean? Well... Empirical data means stuff that is kind of verified, you know, it, it's logical, it's scientific, okay, empirical. So non-empirical data is kind of like, a, okay, well, you know, I, I saw, you know, I, I saw some birds flying overhead, so I'm guessing that it's, you know, it, I think that, or, you know, that person did it, so, you know, maybe I can, or, you know, they, they got over the, you know, the, the creek, so I, I guess maybe I can, you know, that, or, or you, know, my, you know what my aunt says, you know, rub some, uh, you know, you know, some, Vicks vapor rub on it always fixes it. Well, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. That's, that's a, oh, Facebook is the king of non-empirical data. Oh, amen. Yes, thank you. Um, you know, just it, you, you'll find the most crazy like little things. You know, to to, uh, and they'll say that it works. Usually, not that much. Anyway, I don't want to go there. I mean, but yeah, the, the the cure for cancer is you know the right combination of essential oils. Non-empirical data, because they'll always say, "Well, I have, I have a you know, second cousin, you know, thrice removed, who, who, you know, and it worked for them." Did it though? Yeah. I took, I, I started taking this new, this new, you know, weight loss thing. It's just a pill, and all of a sudden, you know, you're trim and you're slim, and you feel like you got a ton of energy, and it's everything's great, and you're, you know, you, you, you just, mm, okay, does it though? Okay, because if you can give me some empirical data, you know, it's showing me like, you know, so like what, what is in it? You know, what is in it? You know, cocaine? You know, what, what is in this thing that you're saying does all these things? Oh, well, you know, here's all our testimonials. Here's all our stories. Ah, okay. That's not empirical data. I'm not impressed. Like, God, give, me some, give me some facts. Give me some cold, hard logic. Give me some truth that I can kind of bank on. Not just like, oh, well, my best friend says it works. Mm, does it, though? Anyway. We shouldn't do doctrine like that. We shouldn't preach doctrine based on, you know, just a whole bunch of different stories of different people saying this. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I call it mountain theology. You know, so, you know, go, you know, you know Grandpa, you always used to say that. Well, okay, that's fine. But may, maybe it's true. But is it in the Word? Is it backed up by a cohesive um, exegesis you know, of, of the Scripture? Does it fit within the framework of all of the other uh, passages? Um, 
When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Therefore, take every word at its primary, ordinary, usual meaning, unless the facts studied in the immediate context and the light of related passages indicate clearly otherwise. Dr. David Cooper. That's not me. But that's a good way to understand. Uh, mountain doctrine is whenever you say, you know, oh, Hebert said it. You know, and he, he, he prayed and it happened. Well, okay. What does the word say? Amen? Almost done here. I don't preach doctrine out of non-empirical data. But from my experience, having said all that, now I'm going to give you some of my personal experience. Because, again, these are my boundaries. You know, I was, uh, I was actually, uh, you know, a friend of mine was asking me, you know, what my stance was, you know, on my alcohol consumption or lack thereof. And, you know, they were kind of like, you know, give me a little, you know, hard time. Like, you know, party up. You know, you know, you know, even just a little bit, just step. Like, why would it take you to sip? Like, that's obviously, you know, your starting point. Like, you know, that's, that's you know, the, the first, you know, thing that you put down. That's not where you have any intention of it stopping. And so this, I said, just go here with me real quick. I said, you know, to this friend of mine, this young lady, I said, have you ever made a, uh, a mistake? A serious, life-changing mistake or something that you deeply, spiritually, and emotionally regret because of the effects of alcohol. And then that, the girl started kind of looked at me. She started to cry. I said, yeah. You know, one time you know, in college, you know, I, was just, did, I didn't even think about it. And then the next thing I knew, you know, I had given away part of myself you know, that I should not have to somebody I didn't care about and didn't you know, follow up with. And I will never forget that. And I said, you know, I'm, I said, you know, God, you know, wants to heal that part of your heart and your life. So I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to be cruel or mean to you. Um, I'm just having like a really good conversation with you. And this is not me bragging. This is me telling you about the way that I live. I haven't. I haven't done that. And the reason why is I never took that first sip. I, I haven't. I have a guardrail in place. And I know that I won't. I won't ever, you know, have my, you know, my inhibitions drop and then end up doing something that I would never do or, you know, otherwise. I just, it won't happen. I know that I won't have too much because I won't have any. And that's where I, that's where I live. And I had a, I, I, one of my roommates at one time, you know, he, he came back in the middle of the night throwing up everywhere. And, uh, you know, somebody who, who didn't drink ever. Until, you know, he was kind of had a hard day at work and you know, just had an apple ale, which sounds, you know, pretty, uh, pretty benign. And it was. But he stayed there for an hour because he met somebody, some you know, new friend. They were kind of talking. Had, a, had another one, then had a, had a third one, and then it was over. The next thing you know, he's doing shots and then getting on his motorcycle. And I'm not lying or making this up. He comes home, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm old grandpa. Yeah. Where you been? Hey, you know what time it is? And, he, and he's sitting there with his head halfway in my toilet. And then he's got weed in his hand. And he's like, I don't know where this came from. And I was like, well, put it in the toilet right away. And I, and I hope, you know, uh, you know we'll, we'll talk through this. And then next thing I know, he's laying in, in the floor crying like a baby. I'm sorry you saw me like this. I don't know what's going on. I just love you. <laughs> and I was like, bro, stop. Stop. Pull yourself together. It's okay. 
They're there. But I'm so glad that you didn't wreck that motorcycle and kill yourself. Mr. I'll only have one. Anyway, those are just my stories. This is because these are my guardrails. Amen. The conclusion. Guardrails are there because God loves us, not because he wants to hurt us. Amen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Direction, not intention, determines destination and where you end up. That's the principles of the path. The second path is that guardrails are there for a reason. Guardrails work. And guardrails, by their very nature, are set slightly inside technically what would be called the safe zone. But I promise you, if you have a guardrail there, Whenever you do get a little bit off course, you'll hit your guardrail. You won't go into the ditch or over the cliff or destroy your life. So my prayer tonight is not necessarily to, um, to convince you or change your mind or to, uh, um, you know, to, to argue with you about you know, this thing or that thing in your life. Um, I, I want you to grasp the principle of the guardrail. The Word of God teaches us that whoever breaks a hedge, a serpent will bite him. God does not put up boundaries and guardrails in His Word unless He already knows what's on the other side. Amen? So I would just like us to you know, just take a moment and just uh, you know, dwell on, on, on the Word and on, uh, on what we've talked about here. I've talked about, you know, me and Darian. <laughs> Uh, have talked about tonight just the, uh, the fact that I wouldn't preach this if I didn't care about you. If I didn't care about the marriages in this church. If I didn't care about the decisions and the path and the eternal destiny. I challenge you and I implore you, set your guardrails, even if it's a little inconvenient or you feel a little bit prudish, to set your guardrails inside the safe places in society and life. That way, whenever you bump up against your guardrails, you are safe. You're still on the path. Amen? That's what Jesus wants for you. Jesus brought them in closer. He didn't take them farther out. So don't, don't come at me with this, uh, well, you preaching the law, your legalism, and you know, well, I operate under grace and a new covenant. I bet you do. But if you know about Jesus, he brought him in, and he said, I want you as close to my heart as I can get you. I want you as close to my word and my will as I can get you, because, oh, oh, it breaks my heart to think about you going off and getting hurt. That's his heart. It, break, you know, it breaks my heart. Oh, I, 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 want, I want you closer. I want you to walk in the ways of righteousness and, and, righteousness and truth and, and, and godliness and holiness. I want you there, because I know there you're safe, and I care about you being safe. I care about you. That's what the heart of God says. That's what Jesus says. I, I, I want to be as close and dead center to the will of God for my life and righteousness as I possibly can be. Amen? Don't you?